Hello, I'm Alan, and I almost broke Jaslyn's apartment. Hi, I'm Jaslyn, and Alan almost broke my apartment. And this is High Expectations. Hey, dogs. We are finally going to reveal today what High Expectations means. Pretty exciting times. People have asked us. People have guessed. They've been wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. Someone got pretty close. Oh, what was the close? They guessed what expectations means. Oh yeah. Didn't guess the high. Oh, a high like something about like oh it's got something to do with smoking weed. But if you see, it's not something we participate in, unlike no. the rest of the country. The title of this podcast, you probably know what this episode's about and what high means. But drum roll anyway. It's named after High Fidelity, Woo! Nick Hornby's book from when was it made? I've got the Penguin Classic, and the copyright is to Nick Hornby, nineteen ninety-five. So I'm guessing it was published in 1995 when I was four years old. That's way newer than I thought it would be. Really? I, that makes sense, actually, because it's a record store. Yeah. I wonder if in the book if it's a record store or if it's a CD store. Well, they do have CDs coming in in the movie version. Oh, yeah. But records are still a thing. Yeah. So I remember when I was a kid, we did still have a record player, but they were very old school and everybody was getting rid of theirs and yep. throwing them out and getting in CD players. And then they had that resurgence more recently yeah. of thinking record players are cool. So the the shop in the movie and the book, it's called Championship Records, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure, I have read High Fidelity and I have watched it many, many times before I read the book and after. So I know the basic plot really well, but it's not super fresh in my mind. So if I get anything wrong, please bear with me. My credentials are I've never read the book, <sighs> but it's on my Kobo. And well, it's on a Kobo, so you know it's going to yeah. happen, though. I've seen the film a handful of times, most recently last night. <laughs> it's fresh in my mind, except <laughs> names. The High Fidelity movie is a great film adaptation, 10 out of 10. It is very, very close to the novel, if not a little bit. Oh, controversial. <laughs> is it? I feel like it's to be controversial when someone disagrees well, with that's me. Good to Do know. you disagree with me? Oh, no, wait. You didn't read the book. I think that's why I've never read the book because every time I see the book, it hasn't been that long since I've seen the movie, and I think I it's, want it to be more fresh. It's incredibly close to the movie as well. It's not one of those ones where you get a very different experience, even down to the woman he has a one night stand with is the same name. But in the book, she's actually this like country singer that wears a cowboy hat. What's her name in the movie? It's it's such a good name. Marie DeSalle. Marie DeSalle. Yeah, she's got she's got the same name, but she's not like that. What's her What's the name of the actress? The Lisa Bonet. It's not the beautiful Lisa Bonet. It's like this white woman who wears a cowboy hat. That's <laughs> for some reason like the most vivid thing from the book for me because it's it's the only thing that really stands out as quite different. And also after they have sex. In the movie, they have this big speech where she's like, I feel like sex is my human right, and even though I'm still in love with my ex, I feel like I deserve to have another relationship. Which yeah. is something we should revisit, actually. Okay. Because we were talking about Laura, and whether or not she slept with Ray slash Ian, and then we had a bit of a disagreement about that, and Jasmine just, like, destroyed my interpretation of the movie slash book through it. But it's very clever, and the way you explained it is very clever. But Rob definitely has sex with one other person other than Laura during their break. Yes. Spoilers. Um, are we allowed to spoil? That's what we should probably ask. We should give some context about what we're talking about. I think that 
Um, for our listeners, if you haven't watched High Fidelity, stop right now and watch the movie. And if you haven't watched High Fidelity, what's wrong with you? So this is going to be a very spoilerific yeah. episode. I'm it's sorry. It's type of film you've heard about for a long time. You've had we went to 17 out. years to watch 17 it. 17 years! Oh what my god. What have you been doing? <laughs> and it is such a good film. Like, okay, it's got John Cusack in it, Joan Cusack in it, Jack Black in it. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Catherine Zeta-Jones in Tim, it. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. Yeah, it's got Tim Robbins Lisa in Bonet. it. Oh, Todd Luizzo. <laughs> Even Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah, Bruce Springsteen is a little cameo. Oh, my God. Sarah Gilbert. That is such a good film. How well received is it? 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. 90. Wow. Wow. It's a classic. It's honestly like a rom-com. It's one of those rom-com classics that I feel like boys would even watch. Doesn't even feel that much like a rom com. Yeah, but the main it's so cool. Yeah, it's very cool. It's it's basically the quintessential music lovers novel, really, because it's about music nerds. He's a complete yeah. music nerd. We start out the film with him reorganizing his record collection according to is it according to memories or like when he got them when they were introduced into his life. Autobiographical. That's right. Which is so nerdy. I used to organise my books by size, and now I organise my books by how they fit in the shelves. I am not that much of a nerd. We can give a quick plot summary. That'd be good. Rob Fleming is a London record shop owner in his mid-thirties whose girlfriend, Laura, has just left him. (gasps) At his record shop called Championship Vinyl, Rob and his employees, Dick and Barry, spend their free moments discussing mixtape aesthetics and constructing Desert Island top five lists of anything that demonstrates their knowledge of music. Rob, recalling his five most memorable breakups, says about getting in touch with his former girlfriends. I think I'm going to read that section if that's okay. Because it's the most important part of the book and the film really. That and his interactions with Barry and Dick in the record shop. So. Gather around children. (laughs) The top five things goes for everything for Rob. He has top five job, dream jobs. And he has top five breakups. And this just happened just after Laura broke up with him. So, my desert island, all time, top five most memorable split ups in chronological order. One, Alison Ashworth. Two, Penny Hardwick. Three, Jackie Allen. Four, Charlie Nicholson. Five, Sarah Kendrew. These were the ones that really hurt. Can you see your name in that lot, Laura? I reckon you'd sneak into the top ten but there's no place for you in the top five. Those places are reserved for the kind of humiliations and heartbreaks that you're just not capable of delivering. That probably sounds crueler than it meant to, but the fact is that we're too old to make each other miserable, and that's a good thing, not a bad thing. So don't take your failure to make this list personally. Those days are gone, and good fucking riddance, ooh, to them. Unhappiness really meant something back then. Now it's just a drag, like a cold or having no money. If you really wanted to mess me up, you should have got to me earlier. And then he explains all of his breakups with that top five list in chronological order because he's a nerd. And that's what makes up most of the film as well, retelling the stories of how he got broken up with and why it hurt. And then he goes back to revisit all of his exes and discuss their basically their differences in interpretation as to why they broke up. 
Yeah. And then he kind of makes peace with the past through doing that. And Charlie describes it as, oh, you're the second soul-searching boyfriend who's gotten back in touch with me. So he's doing this soul-searching thing where he's like, why has my life ended up with a series of heartbreaks? And it's a really interesting portrait of how people, the other part of the couple, interpret a breakup. Which is so true. There's two sides to every story. There is, yeah. Yeah. And it would be interesting to do it for everyone. But I'm not going to go there. (laughs) I think we've touched on this before on the podcast. The whole, like, need to know why you broke up. And sometimes it's a good thing to know why. Other times it's a bad thing to know why. I feel like it's mainly bad because a lot of the time... I feel like a lot of the time the answer's just, I just wasn't that into you anymore. I just didn't feel the passion. But then sometimes there's some major reasons why you break out, why it didn't work out. Bad timing. They cheated on you is a huge one, which is something that happens in High Fidelity. I think that's why this book is so successful, right? Because that's so relatable. Like, that fallout from breakups yeah, and baggage. A lot of the breakups are relatable. Yeah. So we got talking about Laura, because when she leaves Rob, and it's quite near the start of the movie, she leaves Rob for another guy. And she does a big breakup no-no, and she, like, constantly comes back to their apartment to pick stuff up. It's like, Laura, get some movers, get your stuff right away, everybody knows you're dragging this out, yo. And so Rob's upset about this, and she tries to make him more relaxed about the situation by saying something. And this is where me and Alan are, like, disagreeing about the meaning of the film. I don't feel like I do disagree with you anymore. I was just like, I hate being wrong. (laughs) No, I don't know what she says in the book, but in the film... She says, we've slept together, but we haven't made love yet. So should I start with my interpretation? Yeah. So my interpretation of that was that they never had sex in any form. They just slept next to each other in a bed and were cuddly and etc. But no sex took place because she said she never made love. And then Jaslyn said, is that really what she's saying though? Or is she skirting around actually answering the question? I feel like she's skirting around. Probably what has happened is that she's gone and had like kind of bad... Sad rebound yeah, sex. Yeah, rebound sex with him. <laughs> and it's just been like really like nothing that special. But soon they'll have more of a bond and then they'll really take the time to make love. No, but I think she's definitely saying that for Rob's benefit. Because I don't, I don't know if she ever... If she thinks that they'll ever will make love. I think that she knows and we know that Ian yeah. slash Ray is the world's worst rebound. Like he listens to world music... He has long hair. He makes smelly food. He sucks. (laughs) But that's because we see everything through Rob's perspective. And Rob just really, like, passionately hates with, like, a jealous fury this Ian slash Ray guy. But let's backtrack a bit. Mm. So I think what's important to set up is that there's quite big differences between Rob and Laura, which I think makes Rob feel quite inadequate. The first being that Laura is a lawyer. That's hard to say. That's right, eh? And she makes quite a lot of money. She wears, like, fancy suits and stuff. Yeah. Does her hair up all nice. She has a terrible fringe, though. She does have... Oh, my God, isn't it so distracting? Her terrible fringe. And she has a very unusual face as well. Yeah, she does. But, like, not... (sighs) Not that unusual, but that fringe, though. The fringe is very unusual. (laughs) But, no, she's got a very distinctive face. It's interesting. But Rob obviously owns a record shop, but I think he feels like he hasn't reached his full potential in life. But Laura, being a good partner, really, even though they're broken up, when she discovers his top five dream jobs, unfortunately, I know the movie way better than I know the book. Sorry for anyone at home. 
he's written a bunch of things that he could do like and some of them are ridiculous like no there's no time or place restrictions so it's like this record company at this era in time signing up these bands so that's obviously ridiculous he doesn't have a time machine but then the last one is architect and she says well you could be an architect you could go back to school you could study you could become one do you really want to be an architect and he's like i don't know i really had to put something into number five and she said, well, really, it should just be record store owner, like you are. And then doesn't yeah. she cross it out and write it down? And it's so kind, it's so yeah, nice. Yeah, sweet of her. But also, like, it says a lot about Rob and how he tries to fit things into his top five because he's avoiding his own life. I think the biggest thing about Rob is that he has the grass is always greener syndrome and he exists very much in his own mind. Do you think that's a good analysis of it? I think so. And he is often talking about how him and Laura got a little bit stale because he's constantly obsessed with new crushes. And he always imagines that they, this, it's a really interesting image, that they have really nice lingerie and not old cotton underwear, which has been washed so many times that it's full of holes. Because he's seen all of Laura's old cotton underwear. And it's hard for him to accept that he's really settling down because he's kind of got arrested development, in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, there's a scene where he offers out of the blue to have a record label and like release a single of these like gutter punks that like hang outside of the store. I guess that's kind of his aha moment. Like when yeah. he's like, I'm going to reach my full potential. Oh. I do feel caught in a rut. Yeah. I'm trying to think if that was after the dream job discussion or beforehand. I'm not 100% sure. I feel it's it's later on in the film, certainly, and probably later, later on in the book. And then he names his record company something real dumb. Top five records. Oh no, top five records is good, but like the the album art is like Laura does it. It's like a woman, an old woman, and oh, the single's called "I Stole My Grandmother's Wheelchair." Oh yeah, and it looks like a real nineties kind of house dance party poster. Yeah, and it's punk music. <laughs> Emily would not approve. Shout out to Emily! Shout out to Emily. (laughs) But maybe having the artwork for the poster not match the music at all is really fucking punk. That's true. Maybe it is. Yeah. I still think it's hideous. And also, Barry, like, turns out to be a really great singer. Because, you know, Jack Black is a really great singer. And has a lot of power on stage. Yeah. So, yeah. Why is it famous? Why is it famous? to the point why, are we why talking is it about famous why well, like i said i think what's so compelling about the narrative is that he's revisiting all of his past breakups and it's very much like a fly on the wall narrative it's very intriguing to one find out why people break because i'm obsessed with that like if somebody starts talking about dates that they went on that failed or relationships that failed i want to know everything that's like one of my top things i'm obsessed with i like to know about the beginning how they met the duration all the problems that came up and then the ultimate failure of that relationship. Because relationships are fascinating. And even though they do kind of end for similar reasons, they're always in slightly different circumstances. So I think that that is something that's really compelling about the book. And that's why Bruce Springsteen comes into the film. Because he's like, oh, I'm yeah. going to go revisit all of my old girlfriends. It's going to be like a good Bruce Springsteen song. And then Bruce Springsteen <laughs> turns up and says, that would make a great song, you know. And it's a cool cameo. And uh, Bruce is cool. And anyone who says he is and is obviously not cool. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Hornby is a successful writer, apart from this book. Really? I've read at least one of his books before. I'm joking. So he's re- he's written many, many books that have been turned into films. I, c- I can think of a couple off the top of my head. A Long Way Down recently got made into a film with Tony Collette, which I haven't seen. I don't know if it did very well. And About a Boy, which is huge. Oh, yeah. It's got Hugh Grant, like being very film. Hugh Grant in it. It's a perfect role for Hugh Grant. 
Because that's again about a man who, how do I put it? A man who just never really wanted to grow up. And he's living off like the riches of one song and being an asshole and failing in love. But in a really way more depressing way than Rob. Rob is somewhat more relatable than that. But anyway, so about a boy. Very, yeah, very popular fiction writer, obviously. If you've ever heard of Nick Hornby, then I don't, I don't really understand who you are. And another one I was thinking of that got turned into a film in Italian, actually. I don't remember the name of it, but it's on Netflix. And that's not based on a Nick Hornby novel as well. And it's about a boy who... You're being incredibly distracting. Love Nina. Love Nina? No. Nah. Oh. I don't think so. Maybe it's called something different. That might be the original book. Is this Nick Hornby's biography? I'm yeah. Really my oh, I've read Juliet Naked. So <gasps> I've read great. Juliet Naked too! Did I recommend it to you? I think you did, yeah. Oh, I love Juliet Naked. So Again, good. very like musically obsessed. Yeah. Oh, and there's that one that has Colin Firth in it. Oh. Fever Patch. Fever Patch. I've heard of that. I think Fever Pitch was made into an American film. There was another film. Oh, maybe I was incorrect. Anyway. Not Drew Barrymore. Drew, there's a newer film with Drew Barrymore in it. And it's got a, it's about a guy who's obsessed, so obsessed with sport that sport becomes part of their relationship, which is very much a Nick Hornby idea. That you're so that like, people become incredibly obsessed. It's the same thing that happens in um, Juliet Naked. Because and basically in Juliet Naked, there's a character in that who is so obsessed with a particular musician who put out only one album that yeah. he follows him across America. You know what? I'm right, so just fuck off. <laughs> Not Drew Barrymore. You listen to her? It's like, I get that. I know that she wasn't in Fever Pitch. It's got Drew Barrymore that... and that annoying guy that everyone loves who's in, like, Tonight, Tonight or something. Late Night with Cuntface. What's his name? He's always looking at the camera and laughing. And he makes, like, people do... Impressions of other musicians. Jimmy Fallon. Jim, I'm pretty sure Jimmy Fallon's in it. Can you look it up? Drew Barrymore, Jimmy Fallon film. Okay. Nick Hornby. No, uh, no, just Drew Barrymore and Jimmy Fallon. It might not be based on the same thing, but for some reason I thought it was. Jimmy Fallon. It's also called Fever Pitch, so that would suggest that maybe it's based on the same story. Yeah. It's Fever Pitch, one might say. (laughs) Who is right? You were right. Oh, I'm right! <laughs> you were right all along. <laughs> i got to circle back to my point now. This film is famous because... Book. It's got the ingredients, right? The book. We've got... It's a book good, and a film. A good book, <laughs> a good book from a good author gets attention. Yeah. It's got relatable relationships. It's got good mu- music references. It's got some good actors. Kind of hip actors. It's got the music store aesthetic uh, yeah the music store thing is totally comes into it a lot because yeah. the playoff of um, Dick Barry and Rob is just priceless yeah. it's a similar vibe to Empire Records yeah and everyone loves that kind of crap also like snobby music store worker throwing shade on customers yeah <laughs> what did it say about Nick Hornby in here Nick Hornby was born in 1957 he's the author of two works of non-fiction Fever Pitch and 31 Songs and of three novels, High Fidelity, About a Boy, and How to Be Good. When was this written? He's written way more than that now, surely. 1995. Most of, do you think? Most of his books have become international bestsellers that are published by Penguin. Penguin pat on the back there. He has also edited two anthologies, My Favourite Year and, and Speaking with the Angel. In 1999, he was awarded the E.M. Forster Award by the American Academy of Arts and Literature. He lives and works in Highbury, North London. Oh, can we go through some of the girlfriend stories? They're so good. Okay, so the first one 
I think that can be summed up pretty quickly. So he has this relationship for like three weeks or something when he's at primary school, right? Yep. And then he wants to know why she left him for another dude. And then she tries to call her up and gets her mother. And her mother says, oh, like, no, she's never had another boyfriend. She's always been with so-and-so. And now they're married. Yeah, she's always been with Kevin. It's Kevin, isn't it? And he's like, <laughs> we were together for three weeks. <laughs> anyway, so he's like, well, that's done, you know, because they're married now. So somehow he makes his peace with that. I think in the film, they've been together for six hours total. Oh, six hours, so okay. like two-hour make-out sessions three times or something. But maybe it was six hours. <laughs> yeah, and the fourth time, she's with another boy, and it's all over. Hold on, it's in the first part of the book. My relationship with Alice and Ashworth lasted six hours. A two-hour gap between school and nationwide times three. I could hardly claim that I've... Got I'd got used to having her around, but I didn't know what to do with myself. In fact, I could hardly recall anything about her at all now. Long back hair, maybe? Small? Smaller than me, certainly. Slanted? Almost oriental eyes and a dark complexion? Wow. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> that could have been her, or it could have been someone else, whatever. But if we were doing this list in grief order, rather than chronological order, I'd put her right up there at number two. It would be nice to think that I've gotten older, times have changed, relationships have become more sophisticated, females less cruel, skins thicker, reactions sharper, instincts more developed. But there still seems to be an element of that evening where everything that has happened to me since, all my other romantic stories seem to be scrambled versions of that first one. Where had I gone wrong? First night, park fags snog. Second night, ditto. Third night, ditto. Fourth night, chucked. Okay, okay. I should have seen the signs. Maybe I was asking for it. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> so he says number two, and obviously number one is Charlie, I reckon. Charlie destroyed him. Yeah. So it's his college girlfriend. But between that, there's Penny. Penny Hardwick was a nice girl, and nowadays I'm all for nice girls, although then I wasn't so sure. She had a nice mum and dad, a nice house, detached with a garden, a tree, a fish pond, and a nice girl's haircut. She was blonde and she kept her hair in a sort of sporty, clean, wholesome form captain mid-length and nice smiling eyes and a nice younger sister who smiled politely when I rang the doorbell and kept out of the way when we wanted her to. <laughs> she yeah. never let him go above or below the belt. He couldn't even touch her boobs, eh? Yeah, they could kiss, but that's it. Yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> yeah, and then he... Breaks up with her because yeah, of it. Breaks up with her because she was too, like conservative for him and he's, and he's like what's the point it's never going to happen and then when he meets up with her later on in life she tells him off for a bit she's like I was 16 yeah so when they meet up again when he's going through his soul searching journey she's a film reviewer and so they go to a film together and she reviews a film and writes everything down obviously and then they go for dinner and that's when they discuss what happened and she gets quite upset because his beef is that she started seeing another guy who obviously must have bragged to him that they had sex. But she explains in the film that she was very much coerced into doing it. Yeah. And I was saying to Jaslyn, it's the worst part of the film because then he celebrates the fact that it wasn't his fault. Yeah. He's terrible. <laughs> Which is terrible. Like, he should have been sympathetic to her horrible situation. But I guess it really says a lot about the gender differences between him and her. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we're supposed to think he's a 100% great guy. Obviously, he's not, because the stuff yeah, he does to Laura is awful. But we'll get to Laura. Anyway, I'll just, like, really... Yeah. I'll really briefly cover Charlie and yeah, Sarah. Yeah. Sarah is played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. 
and she's very beautiful and pretentious and she dumped him. They were in college together and he was obsessed with her and she dumps him for another guy called Marco. You can cover what happens when he meets up with her again. What does he realise? She invites him to a dinner party and meets her friends. She sees her interacting with her friends. Realises that she's just awful. Yeah, which is so common. You're like, why was I so obsessed with you when I was... I was thinking about that on the way here. Why was I so obsessed with that person when I was younger? I think you have this thing where you're like, you want to like them or you want them to be a good person. So you ignore all the bad signs and you make them into the person you want them to be. That's right. Like he made her into this sophisticated, intelligent, great person in his head. But then when he meets up with her, once all the, the magic's gone, he realizes she actually just sucks and she's full of herself and she talks and talks and talks and has no idea what she's actually talking about. Which is quite a common thing. Yeah. When you, like, the magic's gone, you realise people are actually dicks. <laughs> and Sarah, basically the story of that is that he's hurting after Charlie, she's hurting after her ex, they get together, and they have this sad relationship in which they, it's all basically based on their own heartbreak. But then when he meets up with her again, she's still sad, and she's still got heartbreak, and she still wants to get together. He's a dick again. Actually, maybe he's kind of a dick. He's a dick. He is a dick. Because he's like, ooh, I don't want to be with her. It's just like lonely people getting with lonely people. That would that would have been a bad time. <laughs> oh, great then. Don't try yeah. to help her or anything. And then Laura is what the whole book is based on. And we were discussing the reasons why they broke up. So yeah. you go on. Because you watched a movie last night. Oh, there was a reason later on they revealed. It was something like she was pregnant and he cheated on her he's a bad person and then didn't find out that she was pregnant until after they had broken up then I think maybe she had an abortion or a miscarriage or something I remember there being talk of an abortion in the film yeah and they got back together and then she just kind of felt lost after that and never quite loved him anymore yep and so they broke up and she found that horrible Ian guy and essentially we've covered the ending so what happens at the end is that there's a happy ending. Rob and Laura get back together. Rob starts up his own record company and everything works out great. High Fidelity is kind of a rom-com, but it's not a super obvious rom-com at first. Yeah, it's I like think it's a, a realistic rom-com, really. Rom-com for boys. <laughs> <laughs> so Rob works in a record shop with these two goobers called Barry and Dick, who, for different reasons, are like super socially inept. Barry, because he's incredibly aggressive, including to customers, if they want to buy something that he doesn't think is cool, he berates them for it. Yeah. Dick, just because he's, like, too nerdy for his own good. He's very quiet. Dick is what I would, what, probably one of my favourite characters of all time. He is such a sweetheart. Yeah, I love him. He's very passive. Yes. He's just a good dude. He's into the new Balan Sebastian. That's right. <laughs> oh, and Barry thinks he's a dick, doesn't he? Yeah. During the days in Championship Vinyl. Oh, you know, they have to wrap up so now. They do a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> so pissed when you did that. I was like, I gotta wrap it up. Sorry, Shade. During their days at Championship Vinyl. Yeah. They do a lot of top fives. I thought it might be a good way to wrap up the show. <laughs> no, you didn't. You wanted to do it like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> okay, so my Desert Island all time top five. Most memorable recent albums. We're going to do, like, not... I could do top five albums, and I was thinking of it, but I get kind of stuck at, like, three, because it's too hard. There's, like, albums that are, like, all-time favourite albums that I love, but it's too hard to be, like, this is my only five. So, most recent albums that I've enjoyed is... I'm just basically 
like my favorite artists and the new stuff they've come out with. Future yeah. Islands have a new album out, which is really cool. What's it called? The Farfield. <laughs> Mac DeMarco, who is great. I like to listen to Mac DeMarco while I read. Mac DeMarco is good for when you're sad, when you want to feel chill, when you like have friends around. Mac DeMarco's has just got a great sound. And his most recent album's called This Old Dog, which is a great name. It's not Mac DeMarco's best album, Salad Days. This is Mac DeMarco's best. But this old dog is still, like, on form. Fucking great. My fave at the moment, though, is Aldous Harding's new album. I think it's called Party. Because there's a song in it that goes, I want to go to the party! Oh, God. Aldous Harding's, like, every... Every best Bjork song ever. And she's just so great. She's like Kate Bush and Bjork, but then different from both of them. I love her. How? I feel like I'm missing out something really major. Which is going to annoy me. <laughs> Father John Misty has a new album out called Pure Comedy. Because I like Father John Misty. But his album isn't as good as his previous one. Actually, you know what? I'm going to plug the previous one. I love you, Honey Bear. That's one of my favourite albums ever. I love that album. It's about... It's just kind of about like heartbreak and breakups. But it is so clever. And very politically yeah. heavy. And he's so such a great storyteller. And it has a beautiful voice. So how many is that? Four? Four. Another album I'm really enjoying. It's called Freetown Sound, and it's by Blood Orange. And it's just really good and catchy and has a lot of variety and crosses genres. And it's, there's a lot of really clever stuff in there about race. And yeah, that's my top five most recent albums. What are yours, Jaslyn? Top five recent albums. Of course, Radiohead, Moonshape Pool. Who's that? Really good band. <laughs> <laughs> yep, good album. Yesterday, I was re- revisiting I Never Learn by Lucky Lee. Oh, yeah. So great. It's such a good album, Every eh? song is stellar. Yeah. <laughs> Gunshot! I love that song. I'm re- really enjoying I See You by The XX. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not a fan. But I, I haven't tried the most recent album, so. Is it better than their other albums? I'm really liking it a lot, yeah. I don't like their last albums. I'll give it a go. Also, an album called Puberty 2 by Mitski. Really good. And an album that Kathy Allen got me onto. It's by a band called Le Pie. And it's called And He Said Honey, You Look So Fine. Sounds very yeah. So good. You know, I've never listened to it because I think Kathy listens to albums for like five seconds and then gets rid of them. It's a really good album. (laughs) As soon as I started playing, I was like, yes, I love this. And I texted her straight away. I'm like, this sounds so cool. And there's my top five. Very good. We're done. We're done. See you next week for the conclusion of what does high expectations mean? <laughs> hey, we've got listener mail. What? What? Mail. Okay. What's going on, girl? Angela P. writes to us and says, so glad I found y'all via Indoors Woman podcast. Oh, cool. I've been enjoying listening for the past couple of weeks. Smiley face. Thanks, Angela P. Thanks, Angela P. Love from Jaslyn and me. We have a review from Justine from the Cutaways podcast. Justin from Justine. I'm sure she loves that reference. I'm sure she doesn't. I'm really sorry, Justine. (laughs) She rated us five stars. Woohoo! And she says, tune in, turn up. I love this pod, and I'm so thankful that the ladies are around to chat and are lovely people. 
Aww. They are so smartly smashing the patriarchy. Grab a hammer and join along. Big smiley face emoji. I love that. Thanks, Justine. And good to have them back on the podcast scene as well. The Cutaways are very cool. They review a different rom-com that they find on Netflix every episode. And I particularly like their You've Got Mail episode because they appreciate that it's a good rom-com. I think they said that it was a... It was like a Cameron Crowe movie, but good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of my favourite rom-coms of all time. We should have done top five rom-coms. Uh, Can we do top five rom-coms after the listener mail? Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's do this. All right, carry on. There's going to be a lot of listener mail. Hannah from the Film Rose podcast Film says, Roast. five stars, expectations met. <laughs> I love it. High expectations is what three friends in a podcast should be. Fun, relaxed, and intriguing. They are just as advertised because I always feel like a fly on the wall of their goofy conversation. You never quite know where the discussion will go, but you're always happy to be there. Love these ladies and recommend everyone check them out. Thanks, Hannah. Woo! Film Roast is a podcast where they watch bad movies, make fun of them, while they drink (gasps) coffee that they've roasted. I love that. Good pun. (laughs) And finally... Rated five stars. Love it. Liz from the Nerdy Bitches podcast. <laughs> Great name. Says, I'm a new listener and I'm already completely loving this podcast. Aww. The ladies are awesome and the banter is entertaining and witty. I completely agree that the world can be a really peopley place and should sometimes be avoided. Wink. I can't wait to keep on listening and adding this to my regular podcast rotation. Yay! Thanks, Liz. If you want to find other good podcasts like us and them, search. Oh, Jess, I'm so pleased that she got rid of the only light source in the room right now. Her lamp, which is in a previous podcast episode. Yeah, check that episode out. <laughs> the lamp is now on the floor. <laughs> we do not love lamp. You can find other good podcasts by Real Badass Woman. By searching the hashtag LadyPodSquad. Woohoo! Hey, Ellen. Hey, Jaslyn. Top five rom-coms. Top five rom-coms. Okay. So, yeah. I reckon number one, You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail is just perf. It's got Meg Ryan, who's like a rom-com classic. Tom Hanks is who is pretty great in everything he does. Especially Forrest Gump. And it's basically a Pride and Prejudice story. And any Pride and Prejudice kind of setups where they're like snarky and they play off each other really well, like a Benedict and Beatrice type thing, makes for a great rom com. Like 10 Things I Hate About You, which is number two, or maybe number one, competing. Anyway, 10 Things I Hate About You is fabulous and it's based on the Shakespeare play Taming of the Shrew. And so if you haven't watched 10 Things I Hate About You, that's really weird, but that's a good one too. Maybe number three, controversial choice 27 Dresses is one of my faves. I don't know, I just really like the way she plays off James Marsden in it. It's kind of an unexpected rom-com because at the beginning, the guy that she's really into ends up with her sister, but then she finds the real dude that she's really into, and then they run off in the sunset together, and that's really exciting. But there's a lot of, like, trials and tribulations, and Katherine Heigl is at her best uptight self. I love that movie. Number three. Actually, an interesting one. The Wedding Date. Have you ever seen The Wedding Date? Because it's just a bit quirky. It's kind of got that whole, like, English rom-com thing going on, but also meets American. And it's about a woman mm. who, uh, you know, also played by an uptight... Was it always, like, an uptight woman? It's, like, 
not getting the sex that she deserves, and then throughout the process of the film, she lets her hair down. You know the wedding? Have you seen the wedding date? I don't think I have. No. Oh, it's on Netflix. It's so great. And then she hires a male prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like the reverse of Pretty Women. So it's a lot more empowering in a way. And yeah, there's a lot of drama there, and it's got some really good actors in it as well. I feel like I should choose a British one. About time. I'm just going to steal your best one. It's just fantastic. It's got, you know, absolute rom-com veteran Rachel McAdams in it. Notebook fame, obviously. And she plays off that dude who's in every sci-fi film ever and sci-fi TV show ever. What's his name? He's in Black Mirror and he's oh, in... Oh, the ginger guy. Ex Machina? I don't know his name. Machina? Ex Machina? Oh, the ginger guy. The yeah. ginger guy. <laughs> and he's fantastic and he can time travel and he uses his time travel powers. By the way, his time travel is very British. He goes into a cupboard, closes his eyes and like squeezes his fists really tight. Which is like so unheroic. And he uses it to basically convince women to love him. Yeah. Alright. That's your five? That's my five. I'm going to throw some good names at you here. Yep. Obviously, number one, about time. How about Amelie? How about Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist? Terrible film. Sixteen Candles. Meh. Not the best. And... I think, I think, oh, Sixteen Candles is pretty good. It's much better than, oh, Pretty in Pink. But I prefer Breakfast Club over all of them. And finally... Yeah. The Princess Diaries. Yeah. Yeah, I've watched Princess Diaries like a million times. Yeah, good actors in it, actually. I'm not saying that my different top five, but there's five real good ones. (laughs) (sighs) Amelie is an amazing film. I would have picked that if I thought of it. It's too hard. I cheated by googling top rom-coms. But what are the rom-coms that mean something to you personally? I thought that was the question. Not like top rom-coms. So I'm real snarky today. <laughs> well, those are ones that I looked at the list and I was like, oh, those ones, yeah. I wasn't reading out the top list. I was going down the list of 50, 100 rom-coms. But what do they mean to you? This is a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist for some reason, but I rewatched it recently and I did enjoy it more than I had previously. It's got a good music vibe. It's got a good music vibe, but it's kind of just them running around all the time. Yeah. It's like, chill out. From those long night out movies. And I think that Juno kind of pawns in terms of Michael Cera films. True. All other Michael Cera films. Except for Superbad. I like Superbad. Except there's that chunk of Superbad that's too uncomfortable to watch where they go to the party. I think one that you got me to watch once was Just Like Heaven. And it was like, just like heaven. And it's like, it should be shit, but it's somehow great. <laughs> it's because Reese Witherspoon and Mark Ruffalo. That's why. Yeah. Also rom-com classics. <gasps> I forgot one of the best rom-coms of all time. What? 13 Going On 30. Oh, yeah. I love 13 oh, Going God. On 30. Oh. It's right by my mouse cursor right now. <laughs> right, we're going to get out of here. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. If you have any comments or questions, please send an email to highexpectationspodcast at gmail.com or leave us a comment on a post. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at High Expectations Podcast or on Twitter at High EX Podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict or wherever you enjoy podcasts. Have a great week. Oh, I got it out on DVD once. Oh. <laughs> oh. I know it should have been VHS. Oh, fuck off. <laughs>
What is with you today? <coughs> nerd. <coughs> Reddit nerd. Let's <coughs> just like rag on it. Each other day, hour. I'm sorry. Making it easy to eat it. Yeah.